0: hollywood house welcome back to the uncomfortable is okay podcast it's been about two and a half years since uh we sat down and did our last podcast how are ya
1: I'm very well, thank you. Crikey, two and a half years. It's terrifying, but yeah, amazing what's happened in those last two and a half years.
0: <laughs> Definitely, and it, it kind of, it feels like it, what it was maybe like six months ago that we, we chatted last, uh, but it was episode number 23, and I think this one is going to be episode number 139, so there's, oh. been, there's been a <laughs> bit of water under the bridge from there as well. So, I mean, yeah, people that are, re- are really interested in your backstory which should be everyone, should go back and have a listen to episode 23. But for for those people that just don't want to stop now, can you snapshot it for us? Who are you? Where are you from? What sort of stuff are you into?
1: Yeah, quickly, rural girl, brought up on a farm, southwest of Ashburton in mid-Canterbury, and always had a bit of a passion or a love for outdoors, adventure, and also did a design degree at Victoria and Wellington. Uh, so now my yeah, my life seems to be a, a nice combination of adventures and design. But when did I go? Outward bound, 28 years old, and wrote myself some pretty simple goals, but one of them was to do an adventure each year that challenged me, and yeah, roll on. So first one was the Coast 2 Day, which I always say is the most terrifying race I've ever done, just because it was a start, really. It was that first step, and roll on from there and I've done um, Marathon de Saab which is an ultra through the Sahara Desert in Morocco 260 kilometers and then 230 through the Amazon jungle in Peru one day coast to coast and then my most recent and definitely most epic was 29 days walking Nordic skiing across the Greenland ice cap. And then I suppose I've just I've just done the coast to coast again, third time, and a tandem two day, which I was a really cool experience as well.
0: Mm, awesome! So is that your adventure for the coast, or do you have another <laughs> one lined up?
1: That is actually my adventure for the year. Okay. I I mean it's still a, it was pretty I mean it's still a, a massive event, and uh, people ask me what I've got next, and to be honest, what I've I really just want to explore. Canterbury in the South Island on weekend and day trips so that's what my my focus is for this scene
0: awesome and that's a really cool adventure just going and having a look around your backyard yeah. I, I saw some pictures on your social media the other day and I was like that is just incredible some of the places that you go and see and that are obviously not very far away and I think it's like that up around Wellington as well as that you can kind of get so wrapped up in your own little bubble that you don't go out and walk for 40 minutes or a couple of hours and see these amazing, amazing places.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I living in Christchurch, there is so much to do around here, an hour, a two hour drive, take a mountain bike, go even further. You can do overnight or just day trips. And I, I suppose how I got to this is I did kind of get, I'd I'd go back and do the same trail and the same trail on the weekends. And I was like, why don't I go and do something different and figure it out? So yeah, we headed up, two weekends ago, we headed up the Godly Valley, which is the top of Lake Tekapo. Just a day trip on our mountain bikes, super casual, and like, lots of stops, uh, lunch at the top, at the top near the hutch, and back again. But it was just you know, it's epic, not a soul to be seen, beautiful day, and yeah, just, and so easy, so mm-hmm. easy.
0: It's nice to be able to go and look for those adventures, and actively seek them out. And once you start kind of looking for this stuff, it's amazing what you come across. And you're like, "Man, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. All of these, <laughs> yeah. things, all of these things are awesome."
1: Yeah, there's some really good uh, websites already set up. Like Doc is awesome. Um, there's one called Wild Things, Lua based in Wanaka, has is more trail running base. But there's just you know, people have already done a lot of these, and it's just a matter of finding them and going exploring yourself.
0: Definitely. And that segue out quite nicely to talk about Greenland and 29 days Nordic skiing across Greenland is, is probably an adventure that you need to look for a little bit. Don't imagine that it's just one that drops in your lap. How did you find this one and how did you, you, did you decide this is a bit of me?
1: It's funny, actually, this one. I was listening to the radio Antarctic Heritage Trust, who they were calling for applications for their third Inspiring Explorers expedition. So, where the expedition was to retrace the footsteps of Fridtjof Nansen, who'd done it 130 years earlier. And so I listened to this interview one morning when I was getting ready for work, and as the day rolled on, I just thought this is too good an opportunity not to try and be involved with, so I got an application together, and yeah, I was extremely fortunate, uh, along with three others: Brando or Wildboy from New Zealand, and then Keith and Bridget from Australia. Uh, so there were four of us that were selected to go on this epic journey across Greenland.
0: Four out of how many.
1: There was almost 200 that applied and yeah, so you had to just demonstrate uh, obviously the ability mentally and physically to be up for the task of an adventure like this. They were also looking for sort of an outreach. So you had a bit of a presence on helping promote what the Antarctic Heritage Trust, does and in sort of building awareness around and trying to inspire the next generation of kiwis and aussies or anyone really to learn more about polar regions and, and what's out there
0: nice and obviously you tick all of those boxes really well <laughs> like once you'd found out that hey i'm going on this expedition like what was, it, what was the thought process what were you, was it excitement or was it a little bit of fear tied in with it?
1: Uh, to actually roll it back, um, on the last selection process we had a weekend where we spent in Christchurch at ropes course and then learning all about the expedition and putting on a harness with a tyre behind us and towing these these tyres to try and sort of replicate what it would be like pulling a sled across Greenland. And, I mean, on the way home from that weekend, I rang mum and I was just like, this is going to be really hard. I just, I don't know if I'm physically or mentally um, up for this. And, and mum was like, well, you know, what'll be, will be. And And I was lucky that I was selected. So I just had to, I mean, I knew it would be, an absolute experience of a lifetime, but uh, the enormity of the expedition was not lost on me, uh, especially due to my size. That was my biggest fear going into the expedition was would I physically be able to keep up with the team and pull this polka, which was, you know, I was just under 55 kgs and the sled was over 60, so it was heavier than I was. And I'd never done Nordic skiing before. (laughs) I was pretty confident I could learn that one, but uh, yeah. So there were there were some pretty big challenges ahead of me, but very exciting. I mean, to be given an opportunity like that to go somewhere I had never thought, and never even thought of, or I knew nothing about Greenland. I knew nothing about Fridjof Nansen or anything. So that was a really cool part of it as well.
0: Yeah, I was reading your blog and that's just, it's an amazing name, uh, Fridtjof Nansen. This (laughs) is going to sound like a badass. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You mentioned kind of the the weave around a bit here. You mentioned the enormity of the adventure with it as well. And did you kind of fully appreciate that before you got to Greenland and before you started off? Or was that something that you only really developed an understanding for once you were there?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Once I was there, I think naivety saved me, saved me a lot. Because if I if I had any idea what I was in for on that trip, I mean, we were we we had three months in our build up from when we found out we were going. So, start of February, and we started walking on the fourth of May. So, February, March, April, May. Yeah. So we didn't have a whole amount of time to really get our head around it. And so, I mean, I just. Yeah, I, I had no idea what I was in for. I knew it would be a big challenge, and I was confident that I had been in situations before that I had. I knew that I could. You know, it's really is all about the mind. I knew that I could get through it, but it's a whole different ball game. Twenty nine days compared to, I mean, the max I'd done before was five days. So that that in itself was something that I, you, you know you can't you can't prepare for that and so it was just to yeah, dive in and try and survive <laughs> yeah
0: and i think that the naivete is quite good in situations like that when you've got a massive goal or massive undertaking that you're that you're jumping into that the fact that you don't know what's going to happen and you don't really fully appreciate how big and how hard it's going to be is helpful in the fact that it allows you to start because if you don't have that and you you really understand it well then you're going to be super scared and you, you'll yeah. never begin
1: absolutely like i had no idea actually how tough it would be pulling that sled i had no idea how cold cold was really i mean living in new zealand it was nothing in comparison and or dealing with the monotony of the same the same the same again so and I had no idea in in that build-up to it that they would be challenges that I would have to face so it wasn't even something that I even you know I'd said oh yeah it'll be the same same and day in day out but I didn't truly realize what actually that was going to be like when I was out there.
0: How do you approach your preparation for something like this?
1: my biggest fear was the physical aspect so i did weights and i pulled a tire down rural roads and i i was lucky i mean i've got a good endurance base and yeah i just decided that they'd chosen me for a reason because they had trusted me that i was going to be able to complete this adventure and yeah a lot of it's just trust that you are going to you are going to be fine and just have to get into it
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean you're you're someone that's developed this over a period of time and over a period of a whole lot of different adventures is, is that belief in yourself that you will be able to adapt to whatever the situation throws at you that hey i've got the skill set that probably get myself out of most sticky situations here or, or find some way through it That. If you hadn't done this stuff beforehand and they just kind of plunked you in the middle of this, maybe your self-belief wouldn't have been quite, quite as robust.
1: Yeah, definitely. A lot of my past adventures, while they were a lot smaller in scale, a lot, lot smaller in scale, there are a lot of snippets where, like, you are totally challenged and you're really hating the moment and you've got to work through it. So I just believe that I, I mean, I'd been through situations like that where I'd come out, you always come out the other side, no matter what. And a big thing is mentally, like I always just say, if you, your mental space is is okay, then your body will just get through it, so a lot of times when I was feeling very low, I'd just be like, I would actually tell myself, uncomfortable is okay, like, this is okay to not, to not be feeling great, but keep being positive, and you'll get out of it a lot faster than, than just being like, this is awful, I want it to end, a whole lot of, you know, which... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there, were, there were times mm-hmm. like that, but it's, it's recognizing those thoughts and being like, that's going to get me absolutely nowhere. No one is coming to help me here. I have to change my mindset and to be able to enjoy the situation that I'm in.
0: Is that the only way that you flip your mindset is by that, that positive self-talk? Or do you I think the strategies?
1: There are times when positive self-talk doesn't even work either. But (laughs) it's knowing that it's really tough situation, but it's actually okay. It's it's you're you're not going to be like that forever. You just have to work through where you are and get out the other side. So, uh, like there were some days when it was really really tough, and I was just like, right, just break it down so I just break it down I get to the next the next break in our um, walk and our team would have a 10 minute break every hour an hour and a half or so so get to the next break get to lunch get to the end of the day and if you could just break it down the enormity of of trying to get to the finish is so much easier to deal with mentally to be able to to keep you going and then change your mindset if you can do that if you're not thinking about the end goal but you're thinking about these little micro goals um it's a lot easier i found it a lot easier to get through yeah
0: mm, yeah i completely agree with that is like if you've got something massive that you're working towards is those those checkpoints along the way and taking some time to one to get to them first but then to celebrate when you've when you've got to them Gives you a little yeah. bit of a kick and a little bit of a rush to just kind of regather yourself and, and take you on to the, onto the next step.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like you, once you get there, you're like, right, I did that. So let's just do the next one. You do the next one. Right. We're here. We're lunchtime. Great. Oh, we've got to, you know, get through the afternoon and look forward to dinner. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. When you got to Greenland, oh. like tell me, what was your first day like there?
1: So we arrived in an afternoon and bent our guide and Bridget, they were already there. They'd been in Kangalusak or in Greenland uh, for a couple of days, sorting out all the gear. So uh, we flew in and we had the afternoon uh, sorting out gear and then slept that night, got up that morning, packed all our stuff, put it on a bus, drove as far as we could onto the ice cap and started walking. So it was, there was really no time for uh, anything else apart from being in the totally being in the moment and getting ready and going, which, uh, which was really great. It was just, we're here, let's get sorted. Let's just start. Yeah. Mm. So kind of scary. Also very exciting, very exciting. Yeah. yeah.
0: Brilliant. And it, yeah, I think that's, that's probably the best way to do it, it, it as we've just been talking about. it just get, get stuck in and, and back yeah. yourself. So you were there for 29 days and Say in the first week, what were the hardest parts for you?
1: Those first three days were the hardest of the whole expedition for me. I naively thought that Greenland would be flat and it wasn't getting onto the ice cap. It was very rolling. I found the, the, the balance between my weight and pulling my sled. Then very hard. I was I was very slow and I was using so much energy. I was using so much energy. I was constantly sweating. But... And the flip side of that is I mentally felt like I was letting the team down already. And I knew that this is only the start and we still had, we were told told it would take between 22 and 25 days, which I just thought, how am I going to keep going and not be the weakest link in this team? Uh, And so for me, while it was extremely physically challenging, that first that first couple of days, I mentally, I, yeah, you know, I really, really struggled just to stay positive, Tried to try and stay positive, and, and to keep it going, and we were also learning, like, we were trying to put a tent up, and we had, my gloves were so massive, and my hands are so small, and, you know, just trying to figure out, and it would take us so long, I mean, by the end, we had it. Down to a down to a fine art, but it's just learning out what the routine is, how everything works. So it was all it's all kind of dealing dealing with everything that was so new and trying to yeah just trying to get your head around that.
0: Like after those first couple of days, what what flipped for you to make it better? <laughs>
1: Yeah, it wasn't actually probably until the first two weeks it took me two weeks and I I remember thinking before I went into this that I knew that those first days would be hard but I imagined myself to to get into a routine and to be to physically be okay after like day four or five but I mean I got to end of week week two and my body was still just really sore and wasn't actually until, yeah, it took me like two weeks for my body to come accustomed to physically pulling. I know I I come, I I work, I stand or sit at a desk eight hours a day. And so to go from that to then 10 hours a day pulling a sled, it was just, it was a pretty physical toll on my body. So it took my body a long time to get used to doing that every day. Yeah. Mm
0: and we we are getting a little bit older Holly as well so we don't <laughs> adapt quite as quickly as when we were 18 unfortunately
1: uh, i that is very true i was the oldest on the trip at 34 Brando was 24, Keith was 27 and Bridget was 30 and I think yeah my body you know I just you just presume that it will be fine and bounce back in no time because past experience tells you that's what happens and it did but it probably (laughs) yeah took it took a wee while.
0: (laughs) Yeah and and I think that's, that's an interesting point as well is that you do you will adapt eventually with it but often people give up much earlier than they should because it hasn't happened for them the way that it happened in the past or they are just worried that hey i'm sore there's something wrong here they rather than giving their body a chance to to adapt one of the worst things that that i hear with people when they come in and see me uh, as a physio is that oh it's old age it's (laughs) not old age it's that you haven't done this before and you've tried something or you haven't done it for a long time. It's
1: so long, yeah. That
0: you're, you're having problems with it and you're sore afterwards. People, if oh, the, the best thing is it was when they say, I always used to be able to do this. And I ask them, Oh, when did you do it last? And they'll say, <laughs> Oh, five years ago. And it's no, no wonder you're sore. You haven't trained to do this for five years. Give your body yeah, a chance, I mean... let it adapt.
1: That's so true. I hadn't really even thought about that. And I, I think that's probably what surprised me was that I, that I expected my body to adapt faster than what it did and, and actually how long it took for it to adapt. But because I had no other option, I had to keep going. Then you realize that yes, I mean, it took longer than what I expected. But then my body got very much got used to it. Yeah.
0: Mm. And were you, like physically, were you almost enjoying it after that point?
1: I was extremely lucky and I almost went into a meditative state towards the end of that expedition. So I sort of break it down. The first week I was just all mental like full noise I was how am I going to survive my body was aching there's a whole lot going on the middle two weeks my body was getting used to it things were getting a bit easier routine I knew what was going on I listened to podcasts I listened to music it was heaps and then in that last week I listened to I listened to nothing we were sort of walking for one and a half hours at a time and we'd start walking and then we'd stop and I'd just be where did that hour and a half go it was just crazy it was so such a calming calming experience and it was just the the monotony of skiing and everything it was yeah it was I suppose you know where a lot of people try and find to go when they're doing meditation so I found it without even without even realizing
0: that's that's very cool what amazing crazy ideas did you come up with in that last week (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I honestly, I couldn't tell you because I would get to the end of our hour, hour and a half walk, and I would just be like, "What have I been thinking about?" I had the more ideas were sort of in the middle two weeks when it was everything was new and I think a whole lot of stuff through and I mean I thought up everything. I'm a bit of a dreamer anyway, so there were ideas coming out left, right and centre. And I'm sure there was a lot going on, but I never really remembered what happened in sort of that last week. It was really yeah it was really calming. It was great a really great experience
0: nice nice Holly can you talk me through the logistics of the journey as well like how many k's were you doing a day what was the weather like
1: so we were told it would be between 22 and 25 days that's just sort of an average of walking that, that route across Greenland. We would start walking at about, we'd wake up at about 6am. and It would take us two hours to have breakfast, boil water, pack down our tents and get everything ready. We would get a weather report before we started walking. So we had a sat phone back to the guiding company in Norway. Uh, and then the day would be approximately 8 eight hours at the start, and then we really pushed it out towards the end. So we're doing sort of 14, 15 hour days. Uh, And then so we would walk just pretty much in a line following uh, each other's footsteps for an hour, an hour and a half, stop, 10 minute break, hour and hour and a half, stop, 10 minute break. We'd have an hour lunch break uh, in the middle of the day where we'd put up a tent and sit inside and uh, just eat, eat a bit more food, two-minute noodles. And I mean, our food was just super high calorie and fat. So sugar, chocolate, two-minute noodles, crackers, salami, butter. We ate pure butter. It was an interesting one. <laughs> I never thought I'd do that. But it was turned out to be a godsend. And then at the end of the day, whenever we decided to stop, we'd just stop. It would take us another two or so hours to put our tents up. Boil more water, have dinner, what is, hop into a tent all together and sort of had a debrief over the day, just check in with everyone, make sure everything was okay. And then I would, yeah, I wrote a diary, so I'd just write in a diary before I went to sleep and wake up and do it all again. We had unseasonable storms, which slowed us down considerably. We had a hurricane on about day 12, which was experience in itself and well, there's a documentary out on it actually and it's fascinating to actually watch and see what it was like again I think I was so in the moment of it that I didn't actually like to watch that hurricane it's far more dramatic than what I remember it to be but we set up this camp and we were just in our tents for 24 hours which was actually really nice because I just slept and ate and read book on my iPhone <laughs> So, great sort of day off. And, yeah, we had yeah, quite bad storms, which held us up and pushed us right out, right, right out. We actually even up to the, that final day, day 28, we still didn't know if we were going to make it to the end. Um, so, we just started walking at 10 a.m. and didn't and stopped 22 hours later when we finally made it. But we had to, that was the day the helicopter was booked. We had a boat which would missed by <laughs> three days. So we had to then rebook a, a helicopter to get us out to get all our connecting flights home. So we were out of food, out of everything. It was We were getting picked up that day, no matter where we were. We were just really fortunate that The weather cleared and we made it to the end. So it was a pretty epic adventure to start off with and added weather turned it into one heck of an adventure that we were very fortunate uh, to succeed in doing.
0: Mm, It's absolutely incredible and, yeah, sounds like so much fun. What were the (laughs) team dynamics like while you are on that trip kind of going through an experience like that with people that you'd never met before?
1: Yeah, so we were almost complete strangers. We met on this Christchurch weekend at the end of January. So we, we'd done a lot of psychometric testing and to make sure that, I mean, Antarctic Heritage Trust did everything in their power to make sure that the people on this expedition were going to get along and and you know everything that they could so that our adventure would be um, as best as possible but I mean there was Brando who he has ADHD so he was very much on one end of the scale and I suppose Bridget and I were very similar uh, and Keith is just the most down-to-earth humble person uh, you could ever imagine so there was a really nice range of personalities that came together uh But when you're put in a situation that is so foreign or a landscape that is so foreign, you just really rely on the people around you and we all supported each other in different ways as we as best we could. And you know, those four people will always be very close very close to me because of that trip and yeah, it was it was just a really cool group of people that came together and, and all supported each other.
0: Nice. And are you planning future adventures with these people as well?
1: <laughs> oh, it's really nice. I keep a, you know, keep in touch with them and we've caught up since when we did some filming, some extra filming for the documentary. I'm sure we will. We don't really have anything planned as such, but I'm sure we will all catch up again. On yeah, I see Brando's a Kiwi, so, and he's sort of, he's based all over the show, actually, but catch up with him, we did Coast coast to Coast together, well, he was doing Coast when I did it this year as well, so caught up with him then, so it's really nice, it's, it's really hard to kind of explain a relationship like that, where it was so intense for 29 days, and then you come back to, to normal life, and it's just, <laughs> it's just so different, so, so different.
0: Mm, and I think that's, that's probably one of those things that you, you can't really do it justice in explaining it. It's, you have to go through an experience like that with someone to understand what your relationship ends up like afterwards is that kind of that level of, of knowledge about someone and that level of trust going through that adversity with them.
1: Absolutely. I mean, even when I was doing the Sahara Desert and the jungle, I think the relationships that you form with people when you're put in a foreign and a foreign environment like that, and you have to rely on each other, it just you form a really special bond with people. That is, yeah, they you, you said you can't explain it to anyone, and it will only be sort of what you see it is between each other.
0: Mm. And Holly, I mean, since since coming back, obviously you've done the the coast to coast as well, which again, from your social media pics, looked like it was a whole lot of fun. <laughs> uh, that yeah, you were doing with Anna Mcnuff as well, who yes, is yes, an adventurer, yeah. adventurer in her own right.
1: She is amazing. She is such a character, and it was really cool to for me to be able to share the coast to coast with her. Uh, we did the tandem two day which meant that she could sit in the back of the kayak and and she only needed to get water safety certificate rather than do the full um, grade two kayaking which is a pretty cool way to get people into the coast to coast especially overseas where might be a bit harder to get that grade two yeah Mm.
0: also you've you've been doing a little bit of public speaking as well, which is a different kind of challenge for you, I'm sure, but one that you can probably use some of the same tactics with. And talking to, talking to groups about resilience, which is a topic that I'm quite interested in. So I'm, I'm just wondering, like, how do you think about resilience?
1: It's been really interesting, actually. Public speaking, I mean, if you'd asked me five years ago when I started out on this sort of adventure journey that public speaking would be part of it, I would just, giving you a flat no, I never never thought that I would be doing something like this. But when you're so passionate about something like I am, about my adventures and getting up and sharing these stories, people actually really just want to hear hear the stories and be inspired themselves everyone takes something different out of it and without even you know I never set out on this journey to be resilient in anything but all my past experiences have in their own way taught me how to be resilient I mean, I I say that Greenland didn't teach me resilience. Greenland taught me gratitude. My whole life has taught me resilience. And so I was just able to use a lot of what I've learned up until Greenland to help me get through Greenland. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. and I think one, one of the ways that I, I think about it is obviously I come from a reasonably physical background so it's it's that kind of progressive training as well as that you have done these things that have got slightly bigger and bigger and bigger that have taught you all these skills to then take on like a massive challenge like like Greenland and hey here's where I can apply all of those skills and I mean Greenland, while it may not have taught you resilience, probably ended up making you more resilient because you've been through that experience. And you can be grateful about it now as well, which is super cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I, I pulled on everything that I could when I was in Greenland. I, I tell people that never before have I been pushed like to my limit. And I actually think I found my limit in Greenland And that's probably why, since I have come back from Greenland, I am extremely grateful for what I have for my family and friends and boyfriend. And it's probably why I've come to the fact that I want to start just exploring more of my backyard as well. I think a real understanding and appreciation of where I am and and what I am so fortunate to have.
0: Nice. Very nice. Polly, I want to ask you some questions that I ask everyone before we, we tie this off. The first one is, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did, and why was that uncomfortable for you?
1: The last uncomfortable thing I did? Well, I do uncomfortable things every day, like probably challenging a workmate in in a project that you're on, or um, I did the mototapu in the weekend, so... From a, from a physical aspect, I was in a team, actually, and I did the, the run, so the last leg, and so the biker came in, and we were winning our division, so there was that real uncomfortable feeling of, this is mine to lose, um, and, and like playing that battle in your head while I was running, you know, sort of, don't give up, you've got to keep going, you've got to keep going, so being able to push through that, yeah, so I suppose that's probably the, the latest uncomfortable situations.
0: Nice, nice, and I mean I've never done the Motetapu try, but I've done the marathon, and I've heard that that last run on the try is pretty is pretty brutal. People will want to know though. Did you bring it home?
1: <laughs> no, I did bring it home. I was nice. actually my goal was to do it in under fifty minutes, and I did forty nine fifty nine.
0: What's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do, and why is that uncomfortable for you?
1: Without a doubt, uh, I've been asked to go and um, speak in Auckland to a group of bankers. um, And I think that is extremely uncomfortable for me because they are looking at me for... You there are these people that I put in a high sort of high pedestal as banking and sort of in that world and for me to step up in the expectations that they are asking me to deliver on for, for an hour of, of sort of sharing my idea on what resilience is that I'm feeling the pressure of, of um, putting across something that people can take away and use themselves.
0: Mm, yeah that is is challenging especially when you're kind of going across different disciplines as well but I think that's that's often where the best ideas are hatched is that when you get this kind of cross-pollination of of people that look at the world from different perspectives and you being able to share your story in that instance to people that have I mean yeah some of them might have done five day ultra runs but I don't think any of them will have uh gone across Greenland yeah. so hearing hearing stories like that and seeing oh hey these are the strategies that you used here yeah, I can see how they'll apply to my life but I never would have come across them if you hadn't yeah. gone and done the trip to, to Greenland
1: Yeah 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 absolutely
0: mm. and I mean we've talked around this at length already but do you have any any other strategies that you use to approach uncomfortable situations
1: I always believe it's always about taking the first step and I think if you're in an uncomfortable position you might be too scared to take that first step but just break it break it down as much as you can take that first step and you just yeah it opens opportunities and I mean I love your thing of, of find that uncomfortable thing and then how can this be even 10 times bigger than what it is actually and then you make it this bigger thing and then you pull it back to what it is and it doesn't actually seem that big anymore I think I love that strategy it's a really great of realizing then that what's ahead of you is not actually it's probably a lot of it's mental uh and so just take that first step and, and go go for it
0: Yeah. I Thank you. And I can't take credit for that one, actually. I stole that off uh, (laughs) Grant Rawlinson, who you potentially have come across as well as a a massive human-powered adventurer. And I'm sure that he probably stole that off someone else as well before then. Yeah, absolutely. These all get passed around, which is nice. Yeah. Holly, a couple of quick questions for you, but I just want to say again, thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat with me today. And thank you for going out and adventuring and showing people one what's possible in terms of pushing your limits, but also showing people that you can go and have an adventure in your backyard as well. And that whatever adventure you go on they're equally valid.
1: Absolutely. I, that's my biggest, I mean, I, I hope people listen to my story and obviously Greenland is a really big thing, but you can find exactly the same experiences by a half day trip or a day trip or an overnight trip just somewhere really close by so yeah
0: mm. it probably doesn't doing something like that doesn't give you the excuse to eat half a block of butter in a sitting though but
1: uh, <laughs> a block of chocolate a day yeah uh,
0: yeah holly yeah, yeah. <laughs> if people want to follow along with the stuff that you do or want to check out the documentary as well like how can they how can they do that
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the documentary is on the uh, New Zealand Antarctic Heritage site. So www.aht.org or Google Inspiring Explorers. There's also a link on my Facebook page, which is The Adventurous Kiwi. Or uh, I also have a blog, hollywoodhouse.com. So h-o-l-l-i-e woodhouse.com.
0: Cool. And I'll link that all up in the notes for the show as well. Well, Holly, do you have a, a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week?
1: Yes. What's one weekend adventure or somewhere that you have been wanting to go that you never have? I challenge you to write it down and you might not do it in the next week or the next six months or a year but just keep it on a piece of paper and keep looking at it and remind yourself that's the one thing that's one thing that you want to do and by being able to see it and physically write it down I think it brings it to front of mind and and then you can go and do it
0: okay good 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 I've got a couple of ideas already, already
1: they just know instantly of something and it's like something that they've just been sitting there thinking about that they haven't actually done and it's all about like just taking that first step and going and doing it.
0: Mm. Hollywood House, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today.
1: Thank you so much. It's great to be back on the show.